Hi, everybody. Welcome from Rome. I have Sarah and Lewis behind the camera. Bueno, Sarah. Ciao. <laughs> Ciao. Uh, we thought it would be an interesting idea to do the Romans Bible readings from Rome. So here we are. Perhaps you can guess where we might be. <laughs> well, the Bible reading for today is from Romans chapter 5, verses 12 to 21. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking the command, as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord in Rome. But you want to know something? That's just what we do here at this church. You know, when we, when we study Romans, we send people to Rome. When we get to our Revelation series, guess who we send where? I'm totally kidding. Right? That's terrible. Uh, good morning. My name is Eddie Bang. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, today I get the stressful honor of sharing uh, the second half of Romans chapter 5 with you today. Um, and I pray that God speaks to you this morning and that he helps all of us walk closer with him today. That's the goal. Uh, last week was pretty awesome. Uh, Pastor Chris preached the first half of, of Romans chapter 5. And if I can sum it up for all of us, basically what he said was that when Christ died upon the cross, he created a way. He created a portal for those who were estranged with God to now have peace with God. And so Christ reunited us with the Lord or with God. And that's so important because as we transition into the second half of chapter five, Paul highlights the fact that what Christ did upon the cross conquered all of sin so that we can enjoy that relationship that we now have with God forever. So one theologian summed up the second half of Romans in this way. It's a little bit complex, but this is what he said. He said, the universal consequences of the fall have been overcome by the universal consequences of the cross. What is that saying? In other words, the work of Christ conquered sin in every single way so that we could now enjoy this relationship 
with God fully. If we have peace with God, God wanted us to enjoy that relationship fully. And that's what Christ did for us upon the cross. Now, there are so many points that I want to make today. And there's so many things I'm going to throw your way. But here is the bottom line. Uh, The bottom line is that God saved us to be reunited with him. right? Peace with God. So that we could enjoy him, worship him, and walk intimately with him. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can study your word together. And Father, we pray that you just reveal yourself to us. And more than that, may your word have power to convict us so that we might want you and hunger for you and want to live to be like you every single day. But we need your help to do so. So help us to do that this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, uh, before I talk about our passage in depth, uh, there's a few things that I want to simplify for us. Romans chapter 5 has a lot of vocabulary words that are huge and that are big and that mean so many great things. Uh, There are words and phrases like free gift, grace, justification, righteousness, eternal life, salvation, peace with God. Each one of these words or each one of these terms, you know, it's like two weeks you dedicate to that in seminary, okay? That's pretty huge. But this is what I'm going to do. What I'd like to do is instead of talking about each one of those concepts, I'd like to group all those words and phrases and concepts into one big banner word, and that word is grace. Is it okay if I do that? Right? Is that okay, Jonathan? Is that theologically, like, not faithful? You know, sorry, sorry, you know. If the theological police is in here, you know, I'm ready to get arrested. Anyway, uh, so I'm going to put that all under the banner word of grace. Now, can anyone tell me what the word grace means? Yeah, undeserved favor, right? It's an undeserved gift, a gift that is undeserved. And that undeserved gift that Paul is talking about here is the undeserved free gift of justification, righteousness, eternal life, and salvation, all of which results in peace with God. Do you see how I put that all together under grace? Okay, so I'm just trying to prove that to you. Um, So in our passage, the emphasis really is not just in the free gift. We talked about that a lot in in chapter 3 and 4, right? But the emphasis also is upon this undeservedness of receiving this gift. And I hope that grace comes through really clearly as I preach the rest of this passage today. So I'm going to use the word grace here to describe this huge, complex, undeserved gift. Okay? So to repeat, uh, the point that Paul is teaching us is this. The universal consequences of the fall have been comprehensively overcome by the universal consequences of the cross. A lot of big words there, but ultimately, if you just look at the bottom, the Grace conquered sin comprehensively. And the reason why God wants us to know this is so that we can live under the reign of grace in our lives. Those who have peace with God are now called to live with grace reigning over their lives. So the title of today's message is this, Let Grace Reign Over Your Life. We'll get to what that means, and we'll get to what that looks like when we get to the end of our passage today. But I'd like to go through our passage before we do that. And um, before I do that, though, I need to share with you that our passage today has some very, very difficult theological concepts. In all honesty, I was just going to avoid them all because I don't, <laughs> I don't like talking about those. And, you know, it makes me look stupid, and I don't want to look that way. But the thing is, what I realized is this, after trying to study those things— Um, even if I fail to explain any of those concepts to you, 
uh, simply by going over them, I truly believe that grace will be highlighted even more. And so to me, that's fruitful. So I'm going to attempt to share those things with you today. Should we begin? Okay. The structure of our passage today is very, very interesting. In verse 12, Paul is about to declare about how great what Christ did and how amazingly that conquers everything that Adam, you know, messed up. But he stops himself in the middle of his sentence to talk about verses 13 and 18, which is like this aside that's highlighting how, how great Christ conquered what Adam did. But before we talk about that comparison, what I'd like to do is I'd like to look at verse 12 first because it's really, really important. This is what it says. It says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through the one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. Now what this verse is saying is, is, is pretty simple. It said that sin entered the world through Adam. Good, right? And death is the consequence of sin. And because Adam's sin got transferred to all of us, death got transferred to all of us. You guys get that? If A equals B and B equals C, A equals C, right? That's what it's saying here. Uh, now, as simple as that is, um, it does come with issues that I'd like to address uh, before we continue. And the first has to do with death. Now, everyone is probably familiar with, this, with the creation story, that Adam was commanded not to eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? But he ate it. Um, now, here's the question. What did God say that he would do if Adam ate the fruit? Yeah, he would surely die. I actually brought it up. It's in Genesis 2.17. This is what God says. God says, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day or in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Do you notice that in what God says, there is a time stamp and there is also a consequence. There's a guarantee of a consequence. Do you see that? The day that you eat it, you will die. Not die, but surely die, right? He backs himself on that one, right? Uh, but here's the question. After Adam and Eve ate the fruit, did they die that day? Who here says yes? Who here says no? Well, if they didn't die that day, is God a liar? Who here says yes? <laughs> I mean, it's a tough thing, isn't it? But let me put you guys all at ease they did die that day. They died instantly the moment they ate that fruit. The thing is, they didn't die physically, but they died spiritually. And that's what we need to understand. Scripture tells us that spiritual death is separation from God. They were separated from God. Their relationship God, with God was broken the moment that they took one bite of that fruit. And how do we know that? How do we know that that relationship was broken? Because of what they did the moment that they ate the fruit. What did they do? Adam and Eve ran. They hid. They made clothes for themselves. Which tells us that already Adam and Eve had had a visceral understanding. They knew in their hearts that something was different. That something was broken. They knew that they had lost the security and the love that comes with actually having peace with God. Right? These are indicators that their relationship was surely broken. Do you guys understand that? They died spiritually that day. 
And can I highlight something very briefly before I move on? If separation from God equals spiritual death, then what's the only way for us to be made spiritually alive once again? You guys understand the question? If separation from God equals spiritual death, what's the only way to be made spiritually alive once again? And the answer is to be reunited with God. That's the only way to have life. There is no life unless we have union with God. Do you guys understand that? But here's the question. How can dead people reconcile with somebody? We can't. The only way that reconciliation can happen is by divine intervention. Do you guys see that? Right? We were hopeless to, get, you know, to be reconciled. But let's get back to death. So death came instantly, which is a spiritual death, and physical death came later, which tells me this. And this is Eddie Bang's theology here. Please don't take any notes because it's probably totally false, but this is just the way I think. We weren't meant to die. Adam and Eve weren't meant to die physically. But the fact that they did die physically tells me that physical death is the manifestation of spiritual death, isn't it? Right? So the way I see it, physical death is the greatest proof of the reality of sin and the consequences of it in humanity. Right? Death is proof that God is still counting sins against us. There is judgment. There is condemnation. Sin is real. But death is also a means of grace. You know, and this is what I mean by that. Every time that we see or hear death, maybe on TV or, or at a funeral, and we realize that there really is no escaping death in this life, it should speak to us time and time again of the, not only of the reality of sin and the reality of God and judgment, but of the impossibility of salvation without divine intervention, right? The reign of sin and death made it impossible for humans in any way to have peace with God. God has to save us. Do you guys get this? Death. Was that controversial? Was that difficult to understand? No. The next concept is a little bit more difficult. Okay. The second issue I'd like to address is the idea of all people being included in Adam's sin, right? This passage says that because of Adam, death came to all people. Okay, all of us became cursed because of what Adam did. And for some of us in this room, that might sound a little bit offensive or at least unfair. In all honesty, when I became a Christian and I learned this theological concept, I thought it was unfair. I, I, I threw a fit to my pastor. I said, that's so unfair. Adam's the one who sinned. Why am I getting punished for what he did? It doesn't make sense, right? So um, I decided to do you guys a favor and try to study this concept and to share with you some great wisdom. But in all honesty, I'm still more confused. I'm more confused now than when I started. I, and I, it did my head in trying to understand this whole concept. But there is one great thing that I learned that I'd like to share with you that might help all of us understand um, what's going on here. One of the biggest reasons why we as Australians uh, struggle so much to accept this corporate responsibility for Adam's sin is because our society is so individually orientated. We really are, right? In order to understand this concept and to even embrace this concept, it not only takes this corporate mindset or this community mindset, but it also takes a lot of humility to accept it, right? But here's the thing. 
I believe all of us already have it. It's inbuilt in each one of us. We may not access it every day, but it's, it's there, right? As individualistic as our mindsets may be, all of us have this corporate mindset already built into each one of us. Do you know how I know? I saw it full-blown last month when the Matildas made their great run for the World Cup crown. It was so true. One day I came to church, and, you know, sometimes I eavesdrop on conversations, sorry. But one day I came to church, and I overheard this elderly man ask this elderly lady, hey, how did the Matildas do last night? And then she said, we won, right? And he's like, we did? And she's like, yeah, we did. We won. And they celebrated. And the first thing I thought about is, lady, what do you mean we? You didn't play last night, right? How can you say that we won? But the thing is, everybody at church that day was saying that phrase. We won. We won. And it makes total sense, doesn't it? And the reason why it does Where am I here? I literally lost. And the reason why that makes sense is because when those players put on a Matilda's jersey, in reality, they are putting on the jersey of a whole nation, aren't they? They are. And they are playing on behalf of every citizen in our country. And when they score, who scores? Australia does. Yeah, we do. Right? And you know what the most magical part about that is? The most magical part about it is that all of our hearts became intimately intertwined with all of their actions. Am I right? Who here cried? (laughs) I feel I cried now. Who here cried when Australia beat France? You guys are so, like, prideful. All you guys did. I cried like a baby, right? Oh, Courtney Vine. (laughs) I cried. And when they lost to England, I was crushed, right? Our lives were intimately tied to the results of their actions. And in the same way, God says in verse 14 that Adam's actions were designed to affect affect all of mankind just as Christ's actions would affect all of mankind. And so when Adam sinned, all of us were included in that sin. And since separation from God came as a result of that sin, all of us became separated from God with Adam. And now all of us are under the curse of death. Do you guys understand that? Right? Is that, is that, was that difficult? But if that wasn't bad enough, here's the rub. Because all of mankind is included in Adam's sin, all of us stand condemned. Right? And the only thing that we deserve is eternal punishment. Okay? And because all of us inherited Adam's sinful nature, it is impossible now for any human to think that they could work their way back to having peace with God. Why? Because all of our work is tainted with sin, right? We were in trouble. And if we were to ever have peace with God once again, God would have to step in and make that happen. And if he did, one thing that we know for sure is that we don't deserve it. You guys see that? All that is being said in verse 12. 
Is that cool? Is it, is, do you guys understand that? So what does then Paul stop to expand on in verses 13 to 18? Well, this is what he does. He compares the one sinful act of Adam to the redeeming one act of Christ. And he basically says that there is no comparison. What Christ did is far greater than what Adam caused. And the way he makes this argument in verses 13 to 18 is very, very simple. I summed it up in the form of a question. This is basically what he's asking us. And this is what he's asking us. He's asking us this question. Which is harder? Is it harder to make a total mess? Or is it harder to clean it all up? And the answer is? Right, to clean it all up. Every parent knows this, right? Every parent knows that it's so much harder to clean up a mess than it is to make a mess. And there is no comparison. Um, Through one sinful act, everyone that followed Adam became infected with sin. But God gathered the sins of every infected person from every generation, gathered that all together, and put it on his son, Jesus Christ. Why? So that he could give us grace, right? He wanted to give what none of us deserved, to be made spiritually alive once again, to have reunion with God. And it took the sacrificial death of his son Jesus to bring about that peace. Do you guys understand that? So the conclusion of the argument he writes in verses 18 to 19, which hopefully makes perfect sense for us now because there's a lot of words to it. He says, consequently, just as one trespass of Adam resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act of Christ resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. Do you guys get this? Does it make perfect sense to you? I hope so. But there's one last controversial issue that I want to tackle with you here in verse 18. In verse 18, it says that just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, which is true, so also one righteous act resulted in justification in life for all people. And I want to talk about those last two words in that verse, all people. Now, the thing is, this: if we take that sentence in isolation from the rest of Scripture, what it sounds like it's saying is that the death of Christ resulted in everybody being forgiven, Right? The justification for everyone, which means that everyone is saved no matter what. Right? The theological term for that is we call that universalism. But if we look at all the rest of scripture, we know that that is not true. The only way to be saved is by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. And we know that not everybody does that. Right? So we know that that's not what this verse is saying. But if we understand everything that Paul has said up till now, what we realize is that what Paul is really doing is he's characterizing or categorizing all of humanity in two huge categories. There are people who are still under Adam in their sin, and then now there are people who are in Christ because they have put their faith in him. Do you guys realize that? So there are two things. So with that in mind, I think this verse could be better understood if it was written like this, okay? Just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all who are in Adam, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all who are in Christ. Do you guys get that? Great. So let's get to the conclusion. 
The conclusion that Paul makes in this passage, he actually states twice. One in verse 17, and secondly, and then once again in verses 20 to 21. I'm just going to look at verses 20 to 21 because I think it kind of encompasses verse 17 anyway. And it says this. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ, our Lord. What he's saying is this. He's saying when we were sinful and when we were in Adam, sin and death reigned in us. Sin ruled us. Death ruled over us. It was our master and it controlled us. But now that we are in Christ, we have a new master, which is grace. Grace must now reign in the lives of every single believer. And that is what he's saying. But what does that mean? And what does that look like? And what it means is very simple. The work of Christ conquered sin comprehensively. Grace conquered sin. And if these verses are telling us that God wants to give us an overabundance of grace within our lives, that means he is giving us every single ability to conquer sin in our lives as well. Do you guys get that? And I believe what that looks like within our lives is three things. I think verses 17 to 21 uh, shares that with us in three ways. And the first way is this. Let grace conquer the sins of your past. Verse 17, I, I, I don't know if I, I, I underlined the words I wanted to emphasize here. Verse 17 says that God is giving us more, right? This, this great abundant provision of grace, this overflowing grace is the picture. Verse 20 says that where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So do you see the picture that's being painted here? It's like grace is abundant, overflowing, increasing. And why does God do that? It's so that we would always have more than enough grace within our lives to conquer every sin that we encounter. Do you see that? You know, so many believers have trouble with this one. We really do. We rejoice in its truth and we celebrate it but we fail to live out its claims every single day. I've encountered so many Christians who carry the sins of their past so intimately within their hearts. They almost punish themselves repeatedly for those sins, right? There are so many Christians who can't forgive themselves even though God has forgiven them already in Jesus Christ. And, those, and, and there, it's understandable why we might do some things like that. But this verse says, something different. Um, another way that we fail to live out its claims is, is when we sin repeatedly within our lives. Some of us have sinful addictions. You know, we fail all the time. We fall all the time, no matter how hard we try. And because we do so repeatedly, sometimes we get to the point where we convince ourselves that we've claimed enough grace for a lifetime because we repented of that same sin over and over again so often, right? Surely God must be disappointed in how often I've repented about that sin. So we stop claiming grace and we stop declaring Christ's forgiveness over our sins. And instead, we choose to live in self-condemnation. But what this verse says is really amazing and I hope you, you get it. It says, where sins increased, grace increase all the more. Where sins increase, grace increases, 
right? God knows. And what that tells us is that God knows that we will fail. God knows that we will fall. And the answer is not our self-justice or what we think is right, but it's the justice of Christ which calls us to put our hope in grace again and again and again. Romans 8 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why is that the case? Because there is no amount of sin that grace cannot conquer. To live under the reign of grace means knowing that those sins belong at the foot of the cross and not cherished within our hearts. Surrendering them into God's hands repeatedly is what we need to do. And when you do, our passage says that you will be met with an overabundance of love, an outpouring of forgiveness, and an ever-increasing provision of grace so that you can overcome sin and reign in this life through Jesus Christ. <laughs> Number two, let grace conquer the sins of your present. This is an amazing verse here because it says that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness, right? And you know what that's saying? It's saying that the whole purpose of the reign of grace Right? The whole purpose why grace has to reign in our lives is for the complete domination of sin in our lives. God gave us grace to break the power of reigning sins. And hopefully that helps you with the first point. Okay? God gave us grace to break the power of reigning sins within our lives. you got to understand this about God. The last thing that God ever wanted to do when he saved us was to leave us enslaved in our sins. So he gave us grace so that we might overcome them all. And so if we understand that, then we have to conclude that the picture of a healthy Christian living under the reign of grace is one who is fighting every single day against sin. Because we are convinced that God is going to give us grace to overcome it. Do you guys understand this? Do you guys see this? This is the healthy picture of a Christian. And God gave us that grace not only so that we can fight it, but so that we can overcome it. And if you understand that, then I hope that you see this one clearly as well. God did not give us grace just with our forgiveness in mind. God gave us grace with our transformation in mind. Grace is that ever-increasing power in our lives that conforms us into the image of Christ. And we got to tap into that grace every single day so that we could fight the good fight to become like him every day. But here's the issue, isn't it? The issue that I found over the years with a lot of Christians, myself included so many times, is that we all want forgiveness, but not all of us want transformation. You know? Like we all want to be in the kingdom. We like that. But we don't really want all the kingdom to be in us. Is that too harsh? But it's true, isn't it? I feel that all the time. I struggle with that all the time. I don't want to be obedient all the time. 
You know, I don't want to live for eternal things all the time. I sometimes wish that Christianity could be like a five-day work week where we, get, where we try really hard, but then on the weekend we get two days so we can do whatever we want without any consequences. Do you, guys, do you guys feel like that? It's too hard to do it seven days a week, 365, you know? But that's why we need grace. We need grace so much to wipe out that kind of thinking, don't we? Right? We need grace not only to conform our lives into the image of Christ, but to conform our hearts to his as well. All to say, those who live under the reign of grace fight every day. We fight. The picture of those who live under the reign of grace are fighters. People who fight to overcome sin because God has given us the grace to do so. Let's ask God for more of this grace every day so that we can continually fight and conquer sin in our lives. Lastly, Walk. What does it mean to live under the reign of grace? It means to walk intimately with Christ. Verse 21 says that grace reigns through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And there are two things I want to say about this, and they're pretty wonderful. Uh, the first is that eternal life has begun in us now. That's what it's saying. Be, eternal life has begun. And if grace reigns and rules over us, we can't lose it, right? Because it's reigning over it, right? So those who are in Christ... For those who are in Christ, no one can be against us. Who can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus? Nobody. Christ has a hold of us. He, we are secure in his hands. Isn't that wonderful? And that's what you need to understand. So eternal life has begun in us. Therefore, what that means is that we can live each and every single day confident that whatever God decided to start in us, he's going to bring it to completion. Right? And grace is what God says that we need in order for him to complete that in us. You guys get that? But this verse is saying that the only way to access that grace every single day, which is the second point, is through Jesus Christ, right? And that makes total sense, doesn't it? We have to access grace through Jesus Christ. And it makes total sense. Because if we looked at Christ alone for salvation, then it only makes perfect sense to look at Christ alone to live it out. Right? If there was no way for us to get holy on our own before Jesus, then there's no way that we're going to get more holy in this life without him. The whole point of grace is so that we could spend the rest of our lives awed, you know, and in wonder of this Christ, of the one who continuously lavishes us with more and more grace every single day. And if peace with God, reunion with God, was the point of our salvation, then why would we spend our lives doing anything else than hanging with God? Back in 2014, um, any... Any South Sydney Bunny fans here? Rabbitohs fans? It's my team. Okay. So <laughs> anyway, back in 2014, uh, my friend graciously bought me two tickets to the grand final when the Bunnies beat the Bulldogs. Yes. Justice is served. Anyway, uh, and, you know, when he bought me these tickets, I, I looked at the face value of the tickets, and they were $264 each, box tickets, Right? He loves me. I'm loved by my friends. Anyway, so I cherished these tickets, and they were so wonderful. I was so excited that someone bought me tickets to the game. But an hour before the game, I lost the tickets. Yes. 
I was freaking out. I ransacked my house. You know, I overturned everything to look for these tickets. But I finally found them. Okay? Praise the Lord. But the first thing I thought was, oh my goodness, Eddie, you got to keep these tickets secure. You know? You should go out and buy a safe. And you should, like, lock them in there so that you'll never, ever lose them again. If I had done that, is that, what do you guys think about that? It's pretty stupid, right? Why? Why is that stupid? And what's the whole point of what I'm trying to say? The whole point, the, the point is this. The reason why that's so stupid is because the whole point of having that ticket is what? To get you into the game, right? You, you weren't meant to celebrate the ticket or enjoy the ticket in any way, but you were given the ticket to enjoy the game. What's the whole point I'm trying to make here? You know, there are so many Christians... There are so many Christians who love celebrating the gospel and who love celebrating grace, and that's good. But they fail to enjoy the God that the gospel bought them back to. Do you understand? The greatest part about being a Christian is not being saved. That's great. But the greatest part about being a Christian is that we're known by God. And that we get to know God and we get to walk intimately with him. That is the greatest part about being a Christian. Oh, love it. You know, even at Pentecostal churches, they don't clap as much. You know, I was at one through. That was the first time in my life. Anyway, focus. No, it's great. Express yourself. Where am I? And it's only by walking closely with Christ every single day that our wonder and our awe of him actually increases. Increases, you know? It's only by walking intimately with Christ every single day that we get to experience grace increasing within our lives. Do you guys get that? I believe that the reason why so many believers struggle with this or struggle in their walk with Christ is not because of a lack of theological knowledge. Or maybe it's not because of their lack of understanding of grace. But it's because of our lacking in our personal interactions with the Savior. Christ is not just the ticket that gets us into heaven. He's the main attraction. You know, he's the whole point. He's everything. And his blood bought us a front row seat to worship him, to walk with him intimately, to know him, and to enjoy him forever. If you've been living your faith apart from him, let's get back to him and enjoy him once again. Let's pray. I just want to give you guys 30 seconds or a minute to react to maybe some things that God has spoken to you about. God gave us grace so that we might conquer sin. He wasn't satisfied just to save us, but his goal was transformation. He wanted us to be more like Christ. And if our greatest joy is to walk with Jesus and to be like him, then man, we should be running to God every single day asking for more grace so we can be just that. Can I invite you to do that? Whatever God might have spoken to you about, can we just take 30 seconds and talk to him about who he is and the grace that he wants to give us? Let's pray.
Father, we thank you so much that you didn't just have our our forgiveness in mind, but you had our transformation in mind. And we thank you that you didn't give us just enough grace to be forgiven or to be saved, but you constantly want to pour out an overabundance of grace within our lives so that we might truly experience what it means to be your son or your daughter. And so God, I pray that you would help each one of us in this room walk intimately with you, knowing that it is only when we are intimately tied with you that we can be in more awe and in more wonder and truly be the recipient of more grace within our lives. Help my brothers and sisters here to conquer sin, to grow to love you more, and Father, to grow in their their lives of worship. Be exalted. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.